Welcome to Zero Lift Podcast, our weekly celebration of everything motorsports. I'm your host, Mr. Zero Lift. I'm here joined by Ryan and John. Hey, fellas, boys, what's up? Another How are we doing day. this week? Thank oh, you. man. So good. I I ordered those Tillet seats for the vet in a fit of rage. <laughs> uh, are you still just the a The really expensive ones, the, the B5s? Yeah, I got the B5s, which... So I went to install the Cobra Classic, like Porsche, Carrera looking ones and after three mm-hmm. different brackets it just became i finally got a bracket that actually worked and it was so much taller than the seats that came in it that i was like eating the roll cage and in a just a fit of exasperation and rage and anger i just like rage ordered these prohibitively expensive carbon fiber fillet buckets and the brackets get here tomorrow but the seats are here so the b5s are there they're a little bit more chill of a seat like the side bolsters are a little bit narrower or shallower so it's easier to get in and out and it's Mm -hmm. also their smallest seat in terms of like fitting it into a cockpit and anybody doesn't know about tillet seats they're a either a fiberglass or a carbon bucket with no upholstery there's well, it's, it's pretty minimalistic, if I were to say so. I'm going to tell you something. These seats are effing incredible. <laughs> I haven't sat... The B5s are the top of the line, I think. And the, so those are really nice. And like the, well, yeah, padding, so, the little padding that they do have, I'm sure, is very, very well. The, there's, there's zero padding. There's zero padding. Oh, is like, there zero on it? You can order pads separately. That's also prohibitively yeah. expensive. Uh, I did not order the pads yet, just in case, you know. Um but like it's shaped so well to your body. It's actually very comfortable. We'll see what I say after an hour in the seat, but um, <laughs> it's so the B fives are not deep like most racing buckets. And like, it looks like it wouldn't be very supportive because they were designed for like lotuses and stuff. And like to get be easier to get in and out of. I had this is probably one of the firmest holding seats I've ever sat in. I don't know what kind of dark magic voodoo firm they put into the shape, but like you are locked in in your torso and your thighs and hips, like locked into the seat. It's it's wild. So, oh, um, John's got a firm racing seat, folks. Look out. They're just dumb. Exp- I got them because they are the lowest profile seats you can possibly buy. They're side mount, so I can adjust the position and the height very easily, much more easily than a bottom mount classic style seat. And I was just done dealing with seats and worrying about if it was going to be too tall for the cage and if I can fit a helmet and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, screw it. It's supposed to be a track car anyway. It's a minimal car. I want to do a high end build with it. I'm just going to freaking. It did. So I, yeah, it was just, I was angry. It was late. I was drinking. I was mad. It, I did it. Um, the brackets will be here tomorrow and I'll get them mounted up here in a day or two. But holy crap. Uh... Holy. They, they are, they are well made. <laughs> like, holy crap. You know, it's funny that you, you bought those while drinking because I also recently bought GTR parts while drinking. Yeah, that's never good. Uh, these, these, uh, we're on the cheaper side though. And so like long story short, I had made some NFT profits. And so I decided to splurge a little bit. Uh, and I bought, I spent about a hundred dollars. <laughs> spent a hundred dollars on a uh, new reverse, uh, lights, reverse lamps for the GTR. And I, okay. uh, there, they were really 80 bucks. Uh, but you know, twenty dollars in shipping. So uh, all in all, a hundred dollar, hundred hundred and one dollars and sixty nine cents. Because you know, that's that is what it is. Uh, but I got them from partsfromnissan.com, John. That's a dealership over in Arizona. I'm, I'm pretty sure you've heard of them. Maybe. Uh, they surprisingly have a. They keep a stock of R thirty two, R thirty three parts. Um, some that are actually pretty hard to find. Um. They seem to be having a sale. I don't know if it has anything to do with the dollar to yen rate, but uh, 
all of their prices are the same prices in, in Japan. So that's why I say that maybe it's a good idea if you want to spend some dough, take out a look at their stock and buy some some stock for the GTR maybe. Yeah, I might uh, might be looking into that here in a little bit. Um, I got a line on a company that wants to develop an electric power steering kit, and they need a development car. And I've been speaking to them, and uh, I might if I if they use if I they use my car to develop it, uh, I would get a free kit out of it. So I might go that route. Oh, um, and when that if I do that, I might. I might switch over to a PDM, a power distribution module in the car instead of all the fuses and relays. But that's really dumb and a big deal. But anyway, that's, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to do that yet. I'm speculating. Why do you I go above and beyond there? I have big things in the works for all of my toys while I'm in Saudi Arabia making stupid money and unable to drive. Ooh, there it is. <laughs> Sorry, well, we totally hijacked the intro. Yeah, we'll hook a brother up uh, with that kit if it works out. Yes, I will. I will talk to you all about it. But I'm not going to say anything Smart. yet because I want the opportunity to be the guy that devs the kit. So I'm not going to talk about it yeah. yet until I decide to pass or not. So uh, we do have to an F1 race. We do have an F1 race to talk about. Uh, we are yeah. not going to spend all episode because that's what we did last week. We sure did. So. <laughs> Uh, Ryan, my challenge to you right now is to two minute two minute drill oh. us uh, a summary of the race in Austria. Okay. And uh, I can do this on my mark. I'll, I'll, I'm going to time you because we you know we're we're on a yeah. on a timeline here. Got so it. on my mark, I got, I got it. Three, two, one. Yeah. Okay, so lap one coming out, we've got the fact that Perez overtakes and uh, tries to overtake again to get in front of Russell into turn four and ends up spitting out. That is later confirmed to be a incident that George had caused. Going on to the race, you have Verstappen and Leclerc battling for one and two. Verstappen eventually gets overtaken by Leclerc. Uh, with some swapping later on, there's a little bit of good exchange in a solid race, but one of the main uh, talks and points of this race was the amount of degradation on everybody's tires, even down all the way to Williams with Albon talking about the deg issues and with nobody being able to help Verstappen kind of the one-two punch of Ferrari they were doing all right and it was looking like a one-two-three uh Ferrari with Leclerc then Sainz followed by Verstappen however going into the last few laps we have Sainz and another engine failure by Ferrari this time it being lit on fire almost rolled on track only led to a virtual safety car which means that Leclerc kept the gap and Verstappen didn't get a nice good clean bite at the end there was also multiple track limit uh, violations by everybody, uh, something that was discussed by the drivers, them saying that the uh, FAA is being a little too strict on this, and so that is something that might be coming up in the future. We also have Park Ferme. So uh, apparently, unlike normal procedures, the, apparently that all of the assistance of the drivers, all three of the winners, uh, which ends up being Leclerc, Verstappen, and Hamilton, were given things, and so they're all fined $10,000 for basically possibly infringing onto that, which I find quite interesting. Uh, you also have massive amounts of orange flares uh, going into turn six, which uh, apparently was a hindrance a little bit, and the wind, uh, it was interesting in the post-conference interview how Lewis is talking about the environmental effects of it, and they were asked about those. Uh, Verstappen made a cute little comment, which I find interesting. Overall, very solid race, not as good as Silverstone, um, but good still. I'm disappointed we don't get to see back-to-back -back with Austria, but I would still recommend watching it if you haven't seen it yet. So that's the Austria Grand Prix in under two minutes. All right, 145. That's actually pretty good. That... <laughs> Was actually impressive. Yeah. <laughs> We're on the on the fly, folks. That's pretty pretty, pretty impressive. I'll give you that. Uh, things I want to note here is the Ferrari reliability issue. Uh, Carlos making himself a meme <laughs> on the side of yeah. the track, kind of with his head in his hands. Uh, I would be furious. Unfortunately, he basically like had the me dude. Too. Man, the dude can't catch a break. the The whole year, it's either been uh, a factory issue, a pit wall issue, or him messing up. Uh, then he wins a race. He wins his first race, and right. then he blows up an engine. It's like, yeah, it's nuts. And Leclerc ends up getting, you know, curse of the Spaniard. Back. I think. Yeah, it is. Fernando also has the same luck. Fernando and Ocon, are, and Ocon ended up P five, by the way. Uh, 
Alpine's doing really solid this year, but they are the kings of creating a DRS train. Like, if there's an Albin in the mid-pack, you are stuck in a DRS train. <laughs> Dude, it is bad. Oh, also, uh, <laughs> notes here that I forgot I could have added in the extra 15 seconds there is that Mick Schumacher and uh, Kevin Mag both finished in points, which gives us the first Haas uh, back-to-back uh, point finish since 2018, actually. First back-to-back race win point uh, for Haas, and Mick Schumacher uh, ended up getting you know i i gotta say a follow-up comment to i guess last week is that he's continued this uh very aggressive sort of driving style i don't know what maybe the family genes have turned on yeah you called him out yeah i called him out and like he's like you know what this dude (laughs) fuck leonard i'm gonna show him up so like and, and i've seen i've seen all over social media like Mick Schumacher has entered his villain era. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely his son, his yeah. dad's son, for sure. Well, he was so mad uh, because in qualifying, basically, he missed out on getting points because Kev- Kevin basically got in the ahead sprint. of him. In the sprint, sorry. Yeah. In, in the sprint race. And so basically what happened was Lewis was chasing him, and he was able to basically hold him off because he could kept getting DRS off of Kevin. And Kevin got ahead enough, and the team should have been like, slow the fuck down because you guys can both get points, basically, and we can keep Lewis back. And instead, Kevin got ahead a little bit, allowed Lewis Hamilton to overtake. Obviously, Schumacher was pissed about that, and that's where the villain meme basically comes from, for reference. So, Yeah. Overall, um, switch, switching gears here quickly to McLaren and Danny Rick, I want to talk about it because I've seen a lot of rumors right. uh, on Twitter about – him not being in McLaren after this season, or maybe not even making it to the end of the season. Ah, McLaren looking at uh, an Australian rookie as his replacement for next year. I don't know. I think that uh, some of the things that I saw was possibly um, them getting Vettel or getting Gasly, actually. Um, Interesting. What is also interesting, though, if you'll recall, um, Lando has also said it's no surprise that Daniel's experiencing problems in this car. And number two, don't forget the last time McLaren won a fucking race, it was a Danny Rick NP1 at Monza. So, uh, like, I don't know. It's interesting. I think the Danny Rick story is very interesting. I think that, I don't know. Maybe he'll swap places with Vettel. Maybe he'll go to a lower team and just ride out the time. Or he's going to move on to different adventures and do more business-style stuff. Could be interesting. Yeah. So, uh, from one McLaren to another, mm. and I guess we're still talking about F1 in a way. Yes, we are. Uh, though we're talking about a road car specifically, yes. not the McLaren F1 team. What we were supposed to talk about last week, but we got... Indeed. Completely side railed with a very uh, action packed race at Silverstone. Uh, is the, the McLaren F1 road car, which uh, I which recently is... described to someone as the most superlative performance car ever built. And I think I like that description. I think in parentheses, John also says this car is better than the Ferrari F40. Look, I have to admit, so we're going to talk about the McLaren (laughs) F1, which anybody that's a car guy knows of it, geeks out over it, whatever. Everybody knows, anybody that's listened to this podcast knows, the Ferrari F40 is my favorite car of all time. However, the McLaren F1 might be a better car. It is that good. Oh, boy. Yeah. I would say it's definitely in a class of its own. Absolutely. Very few uh, manufacturers and companies and makers have come even close uh, to building a car, a road-going car, mind you, uh, that's even close to to what is described as the driving experience of this car. And, like, uh, I guess it's it makes sense for us to talk about this car now because a few weeks ago we had, you know, Goodwood Festival and the McMurdy car which they're advertising as a road going car and also the spiritual successor of the f1 um and so i would say you know definitely in a different uh vein of concept uh the McMurdy being electric and the f1 having a petrol engine um you know they're different but no turbo and Uh, also celebrated at the goodwood festival it's the 30th 
year anniversary right. of the McLaren F1 itself. So topical. It's very fitting that we talk. Very topical. Yeah. So why don't we just get right into uh, the uh, inception of it? History. The history. Okay. Yeah. Who who designed it? Ryan, I'm going to kick it over to you. Yeah. You you start us off with history today instead I, of me. <laughs> I know. I uh, I won't go as quick talking because oh, I'm not please. on a two minute delta here. Um, and I'm going to take an interesting approach to history here. Basically, this car was designed by Gordon Murray, who was working at McLaren. Uh, he was known for working on the F1 side, uh, the racing side, which I enjoy, uh, the MP43 and the MP44, <clears throat> and then a little bit on the MP45. Now, what's interesting is when he designed and started working on this concept fully uh, before pitching it to Ron Dennis, who is the mastermind behind McLaren and all its things. And so he kind of came up with this while waiting at the airport after the Italian Grand Prix. Now, if you go into the research of this, <clears throat> in 1988, uh, which is the MP44, which is one of the most dominating uh, F1 cars of all time, they won every single race except for one. That one race they didn't win was the Italian Grand Prix. So waiting in the airport after the one race they didn't win, which, by the way, this was race 12 out of uh, 16. So they pretty much dominated the whole season. And then the first time they lost, this guy sitting in the airport afterwards going, what the fuck? I need to come up with something else in my life. <laughs> just freaking fuming. Like, right, I can't believe fuming. we lost that. Now, I shouldn't have lost that. And what's even more of a bummer is this guy is sitting in the Italian airport, and this is the first race the Ferrari had won since Enzo's death, and they went 1-2. Due to the fact, <laughs> due to the fact that Prost had an engine failure and then back then you had to actually like fuel up during the race and Prost basically chose the wrong amount of fuel and then that messed up Senna entirely essentially. And so Ferrari walked away with a one, two first win since Enzo's death. And here's Gordon Murray sitting in the Italian airport going, motherfucker, I'm going to come up with a better car. And basically that goes back to that's better than the F40 because he probably designed it that way. Cause he was spiteful as shit. <laughs> <laughs> so there's my history so like, lesson yeah. for you. 1988 the F40 just debuted probably. Yeah, around when, the Italian Grand Prix When did the, well. the F forty come out, Johnny? You would know this. I believe it was eighty seven. Okay, right, the year before. You know, there it is. I was born oh, in eighty yeah, seven. So the F forty came out in eighty seven. Coincidence? I think Great not. Year. There you go. Um, <laughs> so, after he after he started jotting this down and went to Ron Dennis, McLaren was using the wonderful and amazing Honda engines, which absolutely dominated Formula One in the nineteen eighties, um, and he saw the NSX as kind of this like pinnacle car that he wanted to base it off of he had looked at other cars as well um to kind of say oh what was the like best that could be achieved um but really it was the nsx kind of broke all the other benchmarks the ferraris the porches and the lamborghinis well i just want to make a comment about that because the nsx it was not it didn't approach the performance of some of these cars especially the ferraris at the time no, um, but it was but, the ride quality and the handling, which was important, right. which is what, which that's is right. why you guys know I love Honda. It's the ride quality handling, right? I'm, it's right. The, it's the Yoshi. I don't need the Bowser. I need the Yoshi. But he took the Yoshi and then slapped a Bowser engine into it, basically. Um, well, because the, the, well, the point was, the point was that McLaren wanted to make the best road car in the world. Right. And they tested a bunch of exotics and stuff just to kind of get an idea where the field was and stuff. And then they drove the NSX and they're like, Hey, this has half the power and it is currently the best road car in the world. Yeah. And so, yeah, they, they definitely took a lot of inspiration from the NSX. Um, now they did end up though. This is where it kind of goes out of history and more into like the engine specs. They ended up, you know, he asked Honda, obviously being close and tight there with the F1, to design a large ass engine, uh, basically a V10 or a V12. And Honda goes, nah. And then that's where they shifted gears and moved over to the BMW engine that they did well, end up putting in this car. So Honda's Japanese. So the conversation actually probably sounded like, <laughs> ah, yeah, we don't ah, know if we could do maybe. that. Maybe uh, no, and this is maybe very... it's hard, maybe really hard. Well, oh, like that might be mm. difficult. Here's the other thing too: is that this was during the gentleman's agreement Try in not Japan. To be so stereotypical, 
Jeez. That's <laughs> how they, they they culturally they are afraid to say no, and that's how they say it. So, Maybe it would be difficult. Is, is nineteen? Yeah, yeah. Nineteen eighty-eight is during the the gentleman's agreement in Japan as well, correct? That is uh, pre. That's about uh, around the time of its inception. Yeah. Okay, so I wonder too as well if like they don't have anything that can produce this sort of engine outside of the actual like race team, and they want to focus on winning. I I don't know. Uh, maybe they just do what John just did. That was that's the actor's reputation, but John nailed it. Uh, no, yeah, no, it's probably the way it went down. To be honest, they're like, yeah, we don't really want to make a V10 or V12 for you because it's not going to be going into a Japanese car. It's going to be going into a British car. So mm, it's difficult well, to make. Sorry. The other, the other thing about Japanese brands though is that they don't like, they don't really like to rock the boat, and so. Mm-hmm. Like Honda had nothing remotely. Yeah, when was the last like... time a Japanese company put out a V10 into their car uh, or V12? I mean, it, was the, it was the LFA. Beside the century, right? Or the, the LFA. 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 Yeah. But what I'm saying is, like, they had they had no infrastructure or assembly line or blah 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 for this type of thing, and so they'd have to like sprout it. And if you look at decisions that automakers make culturally. Like Americans kind of have this a lot of times when Americans get an idea, they'll just build a new plant and do it. Japanese manufacturers tend to be like, well, we don't got a plant that can do that. So we're not going to yeah. do it. Yeah. Um, and speaking of the LFA, <laughs> this car kind of reminds me of the the story of that, too, where it was like, here's the designer that goes to the head boss, Ron Dennis, and says, here's this ultimate car I want to build. And then just saying, yep, do it. And so it's kind of funny that that's like the last Japanese car that has a big engine in the same vein. Uh, yeah. Well, so like Gordon Murray always wanted to have like a center seater arrow, arrowhead type style car. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that like you, in his sort of uh, journal entries or like diaries, I guess some, some reference material that I've, I've read. Uh, he, he's always wanted that sort of stuff way, way back since like 74 or something like that. Um, wow. So, like, so like, he was a kid. Yeah. 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 He does. He does. He had that idea for a three seater when he was, when he was a, a boy. Right. Um, and so it kind of always fit with McLaren, especially where, uh, the concept of the McLaren road car comes from. And, and that I'm talking about the McLaren MP M sorry, the M six GT. Um, in which Bruce McLaren had died in testing. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the genesis of all McLaren road car, right? And so what Gordon Murray had done is essentially take the rough draft of the M6 GT and make the McLaren F1 with the the Arrowhead single-seater in it. And so it's like, it's really interesting to think of uh, you know, what Bruce McLaren had sort of conceptualized with like, and Gordon Murray kind of taking that and like literally moving forward, uh, with it and like only adding, you know, his concept of the center seater and that being the, the most best thing that he could do for the car. Cause like, there's, there's no other way that the F1 could be the car it is without it. Yeah. What I well, also find interesting too, is that he, in the history of it, in the build-up to it, insisted it as being a naturally aspirated to increase reliability and driver control, which goes back to the NSX again. He just wants to make a faster NSX with the McLaren design language you're talking about uh, coming back all the way to Bruce McLaren, but it still stays reliability and driver control. Because, yeah, you get power out of turbos and superchargers, but it increases complexity, decreases reliability. And he wanted to get away from that, which I think is really cool. I think that's awesome. Well, it's also the effect that it has on the power band. A naturally aspirated car, generally a well-built one, um, have a mostly flat torque curve. And when you have a flat torque curve across an RPM range, that makes the power band perfectly linear. So, like, with a turbo car, there is an RPM whereby the turbo spools and you get a dramatic and instant increase in power. Whereas naturally aspirated car your the amount of power you have is always a a fraction of your rpm and so that makes it um 
it's a lot easier to control and the response in a circuit racing oh, that situation. Sense. Yeah. And so this is 1988. This is when turbo lag and, and Formula One cars, the literal cars that he's racing, the MP44, yep. was notorious for that, where it was like Senna and Prost right. had to keep it like in this little tiny band. And so that also makes sense why in the times he wanted to stay aware of it, whereas modern turbochargers and, and superchargers would not necessarily have this problem, correct? Yes. Um, but, you know, th- there's some, there's a lot of, basically there's a lot of issues that are inherent to a turbocharged engine that modern technology has been doing a lot to mitigate. And when you have complexity to the system overall, right. And when you're dealing with a naturally aspirated car, all those inherent drawbacks don't exist to start with. You know what I mean? So like when you're iterating from a, a relatively like better position, if that makes sense. And kind of, that's, you know, Ryan, Ryan, you're kind of an expert on formula one history. Um, like the the ethos behind the F1 is kind of the antithesis of the turbo era Formula One cars, whereas the turbo era Formula One cars are like, hey, we're capable of building this thing. Driver, deal with it. <laughs> Basically, yeah. 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 And the, the McLaren F1 road car was, hey, we're going to build a thing that caters to you, driver, mm-hmm. that you can wrap your head around. Right. And what, uh, so we talked about a little bit of a history lesson. So what fascinates me, I know, Lenny, you want to talk about like, you know, racing greatness and speed and stuff, and we'll definitely get to that. But what fascinates me about the, the McLaren F1 is like the build and the gadgetry, which I think is probably the next logical talking point. Yeah, so, absolutely. So Honda, you know, told them very politely, as is the custom, no. They went to BMW, and to make a long story short, BMW was like, F yeah, bro. Fuck um, yeah. So BMW built them a, was it 6.2? I always forget. It's a 6.1. 6.1. 6. 6.1 liter. 6,064cc. Yeah. Exact. It's a, it, uh, so a 6.1 liter V12 called the S70 slash 2. It's based on the... S70 engine architecture, which is based on the, I believe it was M70 engine architecture, which you originally saw in the BMW 750 and 850 series. Um, the very rare unobtainium 850 CSI <laughs> had a was the first car that had an S70 designated engine, but it had five and a half liters and only made mm-hmm. 375 horsepower. So the rough architecture, I'm talking like the block casting kind of stuff, is the same, but the McLaren F1's engine is completely different and bespoke past that. Um, so, so they so added. Can I can I just stop you right there? Because I just I yeah. just had a crazy thought. Can you take a part that 850 CI engine and make an F1 engine somehow? Or is it um, or is the F1 engine to be spoke? Do you, do you think? I think the bore spacing of the McLaren F1 engine was narrower. Mm. So I don't know if you could. Yeah. But the bore stroke the, is 86 millimeter to 87 millimeter. Well, no, no, no. So the bore and the stroke, like, that's as simple as boring the engine out and putting in a bigger crank. Gotcha. But. But the bore spacing, which is like how much oh. space is physically between each bore, um, I think it might be narrower. I don't know if it's narrower, or I don't know if the F1 just has bigger bores, and so there's less webbing between the cylinders. Um, so I'm not sure about the casting itself. Um, also adding complexity at that point. So that goes away from the ethos well, of this car. Well, no, I was more saying like the head and, you know, valve train it way... My my under I believe you could theoretically bolt a S seventy slash two head to an M seventy engine I believe, but I'm not certain because I don't know what the coolant uh, coolant channels between the cylinders are like and how much wall right. thickness you have in the original casting or if they change that. But 
basic yeah. the basic architecture yeah, we're, we're getting way is deep into it ryan um <laughs> yeah what, what's the, what, i'm, ke- I'm what's keeping the the ja- i'm keeping up what's the way the japanese people say no again because that's i think what we need here uh, so. uh maybe uh, no <laughs> mm, uh, yeah, there's a lot of teeth sucking <laughs> but uh so here's some crazy stuff um vanos which is pretty much standard on all bmw engines now this was the first engine to have dual Vanos. And what Vanos is, is variable cam timing. So it's where you physically rotate the cam. So like, you know, you have your timing chain or your timing belt that determines where the cam is relative to the piston. But with a, you know, VVT or Vanos, stuff like that, you rotate the cam to advance or retard it based on the power band. So you can make optimal torque in a thicker power band. And then McLaren F1 engine had it on the intake and the exhaust cams. They call it dual Vanos, which was not a thing at the time. Uh, it's pretty much standard now. We're talking late 80s, early 90s. Um, the engine shattered uh, specific output numbers, like power per liter. So it was a 626 horsepower engine out of six liters, which is you know more than 100 horsepower per liter, which wow. I think... That's about where we're dancing around today. Well, <laughs> relatively yeah. high performance engines. I mean, there, there's some that are above that now, but I just remember Way something ahead of its about time. I, to get away from the engine for a second. I just remember something too. Uh, this is the first chassis that is carbon fiber and monocoque. Correct. The yeah, first, first carbon mono, fiber. Mono, first carbon fiber tub. Yeah. Which is also, again, this is just like game changer going forward from 1988. Well, yeah. yeah, going forward. Like that, that is a major feature in like a Koenigsegg today. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, and that's what the F1 had, but the Koenigsegg doesn't have three seats. Um, everybody loves to talk about, oh, there's gold in the engine, um, which I think is a really dumb thing to harp on, but they did have, they put gold foil over the engine cover because they thought the heat from the engine could potentially warp the carbon fiber um look it's got an eighth of an ounce of gold man it's just got an eighth it's just got an eighth in there guys it's not that much don't well, worry i mean hey you can go buy some gold foil and put it in your engine like it's i mean i'm not saying it's no here's what you know here's can, can i just interject with some with some gold bug talk here because i've just been doing <laughs> some some actual gold uh research Okay. Uh, well, so like I don't know if you guys have, re- have have seen in the news, the Ugandan government said that they they found like a huge gold deposit yeah. on 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 Ugandan I soil. Saw a lot of American uh, news about that. <laughs> yeah, no one's really believing it. So anyway, like uh, I was doing research into how much uh, per ton gold ore would convert into refined gold, mm-hmm. and like it turns out that like per ton, it's I think about point eight. 0.08 of an ounce and so like the amount of maybe the amount of gold in a mclaren f1 is uh equivalent to a ton of golden ore just fun fact <laughs> well i just i just think that's a nerdy thing to to or a dumb thing to like freak out about because there's so many other like in my opinion much cooler like i could go buy gold foil and put yeah it in Engine bay. I mean, it's like how um, they put gold foil in, in spaceships. It's, it's just a heating thing. I mean, it's okay, but it's not. It's, here's what. Sorry. Here's what. Here's what freaks me out about the McLaren F1 man is if you know we we deep dived into a bunch of videos and stuff just trying to you know get material to talk about and cover all angles. But like, this car is built like it's built like a car that you or me would build if we had an infinite budget and like resources and attention to detail. And that's what I love about it is like just little stuff as dumb as like fasteners that hold interior panels or stuff on are little, you know, Zeus quarter turn pop out connectors, which anybody it's messing with a race car or has like a motorcycle with track body work. You use Zeus connectors to hold that stuff on, right? Cause you just turn it a quarter turn. Everything pops right off. You don't need tool. It's, it's, it's spiffy. OEMs don't do that. OEMs come up with a, you know, seven sided bolt that you need a special <laughs> wrench to take off and a dumb set of clips. And, yeah. you know, and, and there's reasons cause of assembly lines and whatever like that, like everything is hand 
assembled and like accessible and you can work on it and it's parts that is like oh i know where that came off of oh i have some of those on my engine oh i have some of those oh i know what that part is um but it's just the fit and finish and attention to detail is sky high the seats are not adjustable the seats are just bolted in place that's fucking cool in my opinion especially in a car this expensive (laughs) (laughs) um the uh it's fitted fitted to the customer Yeah, yes. Yeah, 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 like a Formula One it. car. Like a Formula One car, they would customize the bucket seats. So they're not going to be firm, but they would, like John's new seats that he just got, but they would be customed to the user, yeah. similar but I'm to just, a Formula One car. I'm just talking about the fact that, like, the fact that, like, there's no rate. You don't even have a rail you pull up on to move it. Uh, yeah, there's no electronic adjustment or anything like because that. It's weight just, reduction. It's bolted to the car, which is what you would probably do if you built a track car for your damn self. Duh. I respect that. The rearview mirrors are off a of Volkswagen Corrado. You know why? Because the Volkswagen Corrado's rearview mirrors look fucking sweet. Um, the uh, the doors are based off a of Toyota uh, Sierra. <laughs> yeah, the latch mechanism. Yeah. Um, it's got flappy paddles, but it's not for the gear shift. The flappy paddles are for the horn and the high beam flashers. And those flappy paddles, because they're attached to the steering wheel, and McLaren didn't want to add weight by having a typical... So normal steering wheels, when you have buttons on the wheel, if it's a race car, you just literally have a coiled wire that hangs, dangles between your legs. If it's a factory car, they have this weird wiring harness that runs through the steering harness that coils around and loops, right? Well, what McLaren did to save weight and get rid of complexity is all you got's the horn, the flasher and the uh, yeah the horn and the flasher on the steering wheel and those are infrared sensors. So you can there's no wires that actually go to the steering wheel. So they cut down on all that wiring harness weight, running this coiled length of wire that can wrap around the column when you turn the wheel, and you just have infrared sensors. That's fucking cool. The, the McLaren F1 is definitely the most uncompromising road-going car ever made. Uncompromising in the sense that um, everything in terms of performance is there uh, when you're talking about a, a sports car or, you know, arguably the first hypercar. I don't know if you want to put the, you know, the Ferrari F40 in the same conversation. Many do. Uh, de- definitely the first uh, supercar. Excuse me. Sorry, I'm talking the wrong era. Definitely the first or second supercar. Um, Dude, it's I... got an, it's got an oil catch can mounted in the engine, just like you would put on your car. It's a welded piece of metal with AN fittings, just like you would put if you put a custom oil catch can in your car. It's got a friggin' ECU that you can tune just like you would put in your car. Now, granted, this is the early 90s, so it needs a 14K modem, which sucks, but when you open one of the doors... <laughs> dude, I'm getting no, PTSD, I will dial up noises in my ear right now, guys. When you open up one of the doors, there's a port that you plug your freaking internet cable into to connect to your modem so you can like tune the car, look at diagnostic stuff. That's it's, pretty dope. It's sick. I just I want to point out that you you say this car has flappy paddles that are designed to be the turn signals, and yet flappy paddles were invented essentially and mainstreamed in Formula One in 1989 by Bernard, by Ferrari, the same team that beat McLaren the year before. Well, that's kind of funny, and they're not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a stick shift, so they yeah. they, they did other stuff the, with the, the paddles, semi-automatic but. paddle. Basically, though, started coming in iteration in 1989 in Ferraris. Uh, and then soon merged for that year was a failure for them, but like started coming in. I just, in, in I just 89. want you, I just want you to think about this, dude. 1992, in a car that actuates its horn and its high beams yeah. with infrared. Amazing, sensors. literally, like, it's amazing. That's hilarious. So I've been look, yeah. That's so cool. I, I just want to, just want to bring it back to to my original uh point and question for this topic is so since 1992 and mclaren the mclaren f1's debut uh there have been manufacturers car makers both uh big and small who have 
claim that they've made the spiritual successor to the F1 uh, to include McLaren themselves. I've said that they've made the spiritual successor to the F1. Uh, no one's ever built the actual successor. McLaren has yet to ever do that themselves. They 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 are the only people that, who can, right? So like, I just want to say like the McLaren Speedtail is uh, probably the closest thing I would say to any sort of successor to the F1. Uh, it is centered seat. It is all about uh, straight line and speed. It's uncompromising in that sense. And I think that has to be said about it in terms of spirituality, spiritual successor. Like, that's really a very open to interpretation. So, um, sort of saying, I think I want to. So, John, can I take this one first? Go ahead. Go ahead. All right, cool. So, first off, Gordon Murray uh, put out his own successor as well with a T50, uh, basically his Type 50 version right. of this car. Or he's going to. I don't. Is it released yet? Um, so, it's currently. I think still, still in the, development. I think it's expected to come out this year in 2022. So probably Q3 or Q4. Um, however, the main competitors, which would also be considered successors to this car are the Aston Martin Valkyrie designed by another very famous person who used to work at McLaren and now Red Bull and the Mercedes AMG one. Now the Valkyrie would be uh, developed by Adrian Newey. <clears throat> he basically came right after Gordon Murray. Um, and, you also have Mercedes with the MG1. For me, when you say successor to this car and looking at the points we've made about this, I think that it hasn't happened yet, mostly due to it not being a petrol car wouldn't actually fill the niche and fit these. When somebody <clears throat> takes EV technology and does to it and builds a car around EV, like this car is perfectly designed around the petrol engine, I think that's essentially the spiritual success for successor to this car because like the LFA would be a close example of, okay, here's a cool design. Here's kind of this car person builds car perfect. And the person that's funding it says, here's all the monies. The LFA is close to that, but really successor wise, if we're looking at innovations going forward, I don't think that can happen with a petrol car. If I just slap another V12 in something, then I'm just basically kind of copycatting this. I'm not really innovating and doing what this car did. And I think to do that properly, you're going to have to wait for the EV space to open up. And then in that space, somebody's going to do something that's going to be on this level that 30 years later, we're still copying and kind of mimicking those ideas. I think that's the true spiritual successor of this car. John, what, do you, what are your takes? I think that was a very deep deep take on this so <laughs> thanks i mean i don't disagree with you no i don't at all um i mean the hallmarks so for me the hallmarks of the mclaren i mean first of all everybody talks about you know 240.18 i think it was top speed which was a top speed record for a production car for a long time very long um still the fastest i think the, the veron beat it Finally, but again, no other car has come close without forced induction. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. Uh, it weighed 2,500 pounds. It didn't have a lot of stuff. There's no traction control. There's no ABS. It was very analog, naturally aspirated. It, you know, there were a lot of things that were cut from the car for weight and simplicity's sake. Um, so I could go a couple different ways on this. Um, everybody wants to say that they're the spiritual successor because they want to ride that hype train because Why I just not? don't think any cars come close just to the impact and, you know what I mean, the greatness, like driving experience. Um, I understand where, you know, from your philosophical standpoint, McMurdy has a point because that car is just so otherworldly, absurdly fast, and it's an EV, so it's like, you know, latest and greatest. It uses a big ass fan to produce downforce underneath the car. There's a lot of tech there that's avant-garde. Um, Gordon Murray's mm-hmm. own car coming up, the what T50? Very nicely done. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the T50. Um, that's a direct kind of evolution of the F1 because it's also, you know, the F, the McLaren F1 weighs as much as a Mazda Miata. That it's 2,500 pounds. That's insane, right? So. 
uh, Gordon Murray's new car, that T50, weighs less than that. It also has a V12, but this one revs at 11,000 RPM. Makes even more horsepower. Um, so and something and it be... looks, in the design-wise, it looks a lot like uh, looks... the F1. There's a lot of design cues that Gordon Murray yeah. obviously reused. It's ridiculously like the F1, except for the rear, because it has that big-ass fan. It also uses a downforce fan. Um, mm -hmm. I don't... To Ryan's point, I don't think... Are we, are we calling those turbo fans? I think the proper term is turbo fans from the 80s. From, from the F1 technology. I think I think it is. Uh, they got banned. Yeah. I, I um, think it's a direct, direct uh, derivative of it. I will say this. I don't think we're going to be able to, like, say, call something a spiritual successor to the F1 until we're, you know, 10 years past it and just see how ahead of the time the design was because companies have been building one-off hyper wazoo crazy cars over and over again. And I don't know if the McMurdy's one of those. I haven't looked at like, like I've seen its lap at the Goodwood, but I don't know if any of the tech, like I haven't deep dived into it and how it's built and stuff like that because nobody has, like we just saw it at Goodwood and like, there's not a lot out about the McMurdy right now. I don't know what really makes it tick. Um, the T50s uh, and their their website's pretty uh, detailed. I've been going over it the last few yeah, weeks since, seems... since I've seen it at Goodwood. Look, look, it it doesn't fall into what I wish I was driving. You could not pick that as a car. Whereas I can pick, I could pick the McLaren F1. I could pick the Aston Martin Valkyrie when that drops because they're going to make eighty five. I can pick the AMG One. But these cars to me, still... the, the McMurdy's supposed to be a production road going car. <laughs> Right. Whether whether the company could scale to be production uh, is a different story. I just still take the same take that these cars are just copying what's already been done. They're not innovating to the degree that this car did. You guys don't think that the McLaren Speedtail is any sort of a spiritual successor to the F1? I mean, it's got the center seat. It's uncompromising in its uh, philosophy and speed. Uh, maybe not as a track car, but as a, you know, a straight line. Look, here's, 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 I don't think one, the McMurray is a single position car and it's yeah, a, it's a one seater, not a three seater. Right. And it's a, like, I don't know if we're going to even be talking, if McMurray is going to be a thing in two years, because it, I mean, look at all these like hyper, like Rimac and, what else? Uh, what was that dumb car in Fast and the Furious that they jump between the towers in Dubai that yeah. no one even remembers? Like, uh, you know, yeah. is, Mc, is McMurray going to be another million dollar one? Yeah, yeah. Is McMurray going to be another one of those? Probably. You know what I mean? Is the T fifty by Gordon Murray going to be another one of those? This like, is, this is what I would argue though. I would argue that some a company like Rivian is going to, or an EV pure company is going to be the ones to do this because. If I were to look at the successor of it, it is an uncompromising car that if I have it in my garage, I can get access to it, which means that is there an Ethernet port for me to plug into my PC that I custom built with my screen that's half the size of my desk to compensate? Can I plug into it? Does it have all the, does it have Allen, shitty Allen keys and like mass produced stuff? Or is it something that as a tech guy, I can log in and there's an app or a, a program that's easy for me to use and understand? And it really is designed for, the end user and it's we're we're designing this for you as you said earlier lenny right Th this is the turbo of f1 and it's the almost exact opposite where it's the drivers you got to figure it out center pros you guys you figure it out versus okay customer we're going to customize this for you it's an uncompromising car the car gets hot as shit because the engine's behind you we're saving on weight it's maximum performance, but it's still easy to understand conceptually and removes complexity. So if I can find an EV car, which is hard to say because, I mean, tech is complicated. If we can make an EV car that's uncomplex, basically, and outperform its competitors to such a degree, and then its design language is copied for the next 30 years and everything just slaps spiritual successor on it, that's it. That's the car. And that's what I'm saying, oh, is I'm oh. afraid the McMurdy is too low volume to really make an impact in the car market. What right. I'm saying is the McLaren, McLaren, made a, McLaren made a huge impact in the car market. So we'll see. We will see. We don't know yet. Right. But 
I hate I, I hate to drag this on a little bit more, but I have a rebuttal to all of that. Okay. Uh, I recently viewed uh, an interview with the manufacturer, at, like one of the head, we'll call him the HR, like the VP, whatever, uh, rep of McMurdy, and he said that he they were building it to be like the one seater commuter of England. You know, be able to go down the M2 or M5 or whatever, uh, and be economical while also being the most sporty thing ever. We'll see. Um, so I don't know. They're sort of advertising it as as your next everyday sport EV commuter. I guess. Uh, whether or not that's like reality, I don't know. Look, we'll man, have to see. Look, look. Everything was a spiritual success for to Led Zeppelin until Limp Biscuit came out, and then now everything's just copying them. Right? You've got to make a massive change. <laughs> <laughs> otherwise it's just not the same look let's move on let's let's get into what what, what our show is driving uh that's been our i guess we can get into the game let's get into the game uh all right yeah, it's good. john let's talk about this way yep all right i picked the car today kids so what i wish i was driving it's our version of automotive 20 questions i've got a car in mind lenny and ryan have 20 yes or no questions to figure out what car i'm thinking about and they have to guess the car on the first try. If they guess a car and it's wrong, the game's over, regardless of how many questions are left. This particular car is generational. Oh, jeez. And with that... No hint? Uh, hmm. <clears throat> oh, crap. We should talk about this beforehand. Yeah. Uh, mm. The hint is... It's like we haven't okay, done this like... 40 times. No, I like this. I like this because it might throw y'all off. Um, oh, geez, don't red hair. It's a little. There's there's a bit of a meta. God, that's it. That's our. It's a bit of a meta. Yep. It... There is a little bit of a meta to my choice. Well, Lenny, this car is definitely an Opal, a hundred percent. Okay. What a shitty hint. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a terrible hint. And you're gonna red hair. No, just red hairy. When you know the car, you won't think it's a All right. I hope at the end of this, you call okay. it back. Okay, let's Here get into go. this. John, is this American? American, no. Is this John? Is this naturally aspirated? Naturally aspirated, yes. Okay, so it's relevant meta maybe to this to this podcast, not to all of the things. So, I mean, I'm not going to tell you what it's meta to. I'm just saying it's relevant to the meta. Is this a European car? Euro, no. Okay, so we're going to Japan then. Is this a Korean car? Korean nine. Why would you do that? Wouldn't you say Asian and then they're... All right. How many Chinese cars do you know? Dude, there's no way. There's none. Right. So, and I wouldn't do that. Instead of just saying, is it? So instead of just saying, is it from Japan? I said, is it from Korea? None of us have picked. None of us have ever picked a Korean car yet. None of us have picked a Hyundai. Well, there's more than than just Hyundai. Is there though? Okay, Uh, carry on. Yeah. Is this a Toyota? Toyota, no. John. Is this car a V12? Is it a V12? No. <clears throat> Is this a Honda? Is it a Honda? Yes. <laughs> Did, if you pick the NSX, I'm going to lose my fucking mind. <laughs> Let's see. Han- okay, it's this. This is funny because John's actually in my wheelhouse. For once, I can help. <laughs> well, then yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Maybe you should. Maybe you should lead us ahead. Then. Hold on. Honda. I gotta remember. Go ahead. I, I, hold on. I gotta remember the the band. I mean, car names. Uh, well, you don't know all, all that off the okay, top of your head. First dome. off, first off, the, the amount of naturally aspirated Honda cars that exist is like four. Um, is this a coupe? This is a coupe. Yes. Okay, uh, so that's uh, the 2000 uh, is possible, or even OG more than that, which is like the original. Oh, what the fuck is the name of that car now? Hold on. Um, like the... So it did say it's generational. Yes, but there's, I mean, the 2000 technically has like two generations, but there's the, the Isle of Man era Hondas that would be generational too, that are like complete game changers and naturally aspirated. 
and they would use oh god what cylinders did they use oh that's gonna bug me uh, i would love to tell you the car you're thinking of but I, I just feel like it'd be a conflict of interest okay fair enough thanks john <laughs> <laughs> but see at least i kind of know what i'm talking about whereas normally i have no idea hmm. so what sort of characteristics does that car have tell me out here well so because i don't know which one i'm thinking about i just know that it's Whatever it is, it's a coupe. It's naturally aspirated. It's probably a four-cylinder, but then we should go for era because that really makes a difference as well. So are we talking 90s or are we talking Iowa Man's 60s or 70s? Shit, I can't remember. It's one of those two. When Honda was huge in motorcycle racing, it would have been in the 60s, I believe. We're talking about a car. What does that do with motorcycle racing? Oh, my God. John's like probably screaming in the background because Honda transitioned from motorcycle to car. Correct? You're right. Honda was, well, Honda's still huge in motorcycle racing today, yes. but they were huge in motorcycle racing in the 60s. That's true. And then they went into cars. Their engines basically derived, they started because of Isle Man TT, which we still need to have an episode on. And, anyways, was this car manufactured right. in the so, 70s? 70s, no. Okay. Um, so it's 60s or 90s. I mean, I, really, we just got to figure out time. John, does this car have VTEC? Does this car have VTEC? Yeah, hit him with the tech. Ooh, VTEC. So now, now we know we're in the 90s. Uh, John, was this car produced after 2000? Uh, when you say produced, do you mean, like, did they physically make it, or is the original production date? Or are you looking for the generation itself? Is the original production date after 2000. The year original original production date after the year two thousand. No. Yeah. Did he pick a Civic Type R? No, because those are turboed. Well, no, the early ones aren't. Well, can't be an S two K. So that was after two thousand. Those had VTEC. Did the NSX had V have VTEC? Did uh, the NSX have VTEC? I don't think so. Not the first gen. Not. I don't know. I don't think it did. Um, so that leaves the Civic. Gosh. John, was this car uh, forward wheel, uh, FWD? Forward FWD. wheel. No. No. Okay. Hmm. No, no. Interesting. No, it's okay. It's yeah. John, does this does this particular car have a number designation? What do you mean? Uh, 100, 200, 300, 400, 500, 600, 700. Like in the name? Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. I thought so. Okay. Can you so... catch me up? Because you lost me. <laughs> Hold on. John is, this, John, is this a front engine rear-wheel rear drive? FR, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, yes, it is. Okay, so... Whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down, Speedy Gonzalez. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Can you... Welcome to how I feel every single time we play this game. Okay, oh, so... okay. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm just going to take it away and do it. Okay, hold, like... up, hold up, hold up. Okay. okay, so OEM was... We're on, we're on 14, by the way. That I was know, 14 you just asked? No, that was 13 I just asked. So original production date was not post-2000, which means it was probably just before. Uh, okay, hold on. Um, how can I dial this in here? I know it's a coupe. I know it's a front wheel drive. It's Honda. I'm almost 100% certain it's car. Like, like he's, is it also, are you asking generational and also, um, is there a specific, what is that called? Uh name brand no there's like slx versus sl versus it's trim trim is there a certain trim i'm looking for here john or just uh, just generation just generational and no trim and i'm not counting that as a question thank you um how else could i try to narrow this card down So is Did this... it have like a, a weird interior feature? No, not that I know of. I so this would be this engine sounds so freaking good too though. Uh, 
Is it a Dale Soul? No, it's a Honda. It's got um was this was, okay okay was this car originally manufactured let's see if i can remember the original date it's somewhere in the 90s i think it's uh, Belsos had vtech no 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 this is originally manufactured in the, was this originally manufactured in the 90s like late 90s uh 95 to 99 yes okay so can i talk to lenny about what i think the car is without guessing you guys you guys can do whatever the hell you want so lenny i'm fairly certain this is the honda s2000 and it's the first generation i'm almost yeah but that if the the s2000 the first the ap1 was a 2001 production car no it was that's why i asked in the 90s it started in the 90s late 90s no yeah it was a late 90s car why do you think the name is S2000? It's very Honda. Um, oh, what's the specific? Hold on, hold on, hold on. What's the? It was also known for like a really specific horsepower output. What are the other cheeky things? High revving. Uh, is this a high revving car, John? Hold on, hold on. No, I got it. Is no, this, I got it. Jet. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Wait, is this? What? What are you guys asking? Can I ask that, John? Lenny? Is that? Is, yeah, basically, is this car designed or operated at high RPMs, basically? High RPM, indeed. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, it has a VTEC, so yes. Yeah, it's... John. Yeah, but it's, uh, it's S2000 specifically. The engine is, is like 5,000 plus. I, 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 got, I got something. Okay. I got something. Okay. John, is the main gauge cluster for this car digital? Whoa. I actually don't know. Got him. Hold Got on. Him. Uh, I only know that because I've driven Jared's uh, AP1 S2K m- many times uh, years ago. And the. Yes, it would dash. appear to be a digital oh. gauge cluster. Yes. That was oh, very interesting. Yeah. So, and, and the thing is, is that because. It, it, it's it's Honda, so like front end rear wheel drive is specific to this S two thousand. Man, um, was the S two thousand's first production year ninety nine? And I just don't know. I think it's two thousand one for some reason. I, well, car years are weird. So I the S two thousand is with two thousand, but I think it was like started to be made in ninety nine and then manufactured in ninety nine, but then sold. That's oh, kind of like a, an end of model year, yeah, like yeah, end yeah, of yeah, calendar yeah. year, but, but dude, model year. There's nothing yeah. else, and there's nothing else in this time frame outside of the s2000 ap1 that exists for honda there's no other like front real that's just not a that's True. what makes this car unique i had written off i had written off the s2000 when i asked john if it was a post 2000 car because the s2000 is a post 2000 car that's at least why the I way i so, remember it yeah. i might be wrong in the actual production the second year. generation is i'm pretty sure today okay fine should we just well, I guess, can i just shoot, yeah, the shoot, the, shoot the fucking j okay fine yeah, it's a honda s2000 ap1 john is this a Honda S2000 AP1? AP1 S2000 affirmative. Oh, Lenny, Lenny, to your point, uh, your question was, was this car originally manufactured post 2000? The AP1 was manufa- was introduced in 1999 and sold as a 2000 model year. So the question God post damn it. 2000, <laughs> I felt cheeky, but I was like, nice, ah. Nice. Yeah, if you had fair. said, if you had said, was the first production date of this car January first of two thousand, then I might have asked a couple qualifying questions. <laughs> but you said post two thousand, so uh, I let it roll. And I was but, thinking, uh, yeah. uh, John, yeah. what, what was and the that car? Completely I was threw me of. off. Like, oh, okay, I can't be the S two K. Ryan, you were thinking of the Honda early S series, so the S six hundred and the S eight hundred. Thank you. Or S five hundred, the five six and eight hundred, yeah. um, which yeah. were the spiritual predecessors to this car of the S two thousand. Yeah, and that's exactly um, why when you said that, I was like, "Oh shit, okay, is he talking the early S's or the modern S's?" And then that's where it was like, "Okay." So the AP one S two thousand had the highest specific output of a natural of a production engine at the time at one hundred twenty three horsepower per liter, revved to nine thousand RPM. <laughs> It was a very simple, lightweight, minimalist kind of roadster, which is why I said it was meta um, for all those reasons. Um, And you know what? I just picked it because 
we have been playing Stump the Chump on some weird kind of wazoo cars. And I just wanted to pick something kind of mainstream and see how you guys did. And it's hilarious because for once you picked a Honda. And so it was like, I really like that I could call it. But that's how I feel. Lenny felt how I feel every time we play this game. <laughs> <laughs> like you guys are like, oh, this and was a good pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a great pick, John. All right. Well, Lenny, you want to take us out? Well, yeah, Sure. Can you not rush me next week when I do this again? Thank you very much. Notes for next week. You people. put me on, he put me on a delta um, for the F one race. So, so bring it back. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you guys, uh, listeners, have any suggestions for us uh, for either what I wish I was driving or maybe race scrap daily uh, or maybe a, a topic suggestion, uh, please hit us up at our Instagram or our Twitter at Zero Lift Podcast. Uh, also, if you just want to ask us directly and DM us, you could join us on our public server on Discord. Uh, just look us up at Zero Lift Podcast. That is our, our Discord server name. Uh, join us. We could hop in the general chat on pit lane and uh, get to chatting. Uh, John, Ryan, you have any outro thoughts, words? Honda Power. Honda Power all day. Nope. Oh, thanks for playing. Well, Folks, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. This has been Zero Lift. Later. Keep it pinned. <laughs>